Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 6. A few weeks ago, I began to teach you about get ready to run. Everybody say, get ready to run. A lot of Christians have allowed some lethargy and allowed some sluggishness, as Paul would talk about, to get into our lives during this, this lockdown. And please, I have no criticism. It has been a long two years. And everybody said... But sometimes you just got to shake yourself a little bit and go, all right, it's time to get ready. God's got some wonderful things ahead for us as a church. God's got wonderful things ahead for your family. God has wonderful things ahead for your careers, for your businesses, for your educations. And everybody said, but we need to get ready to run. Hebrews 12, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, <laughs> we focused on that all last weekend. That was just supposed to be the first point in a three-point sermon. But we focused on it. We said, all right, let's, let's look at this and let's understand the reality of the fact that it's not just God watching over us. All of heaven is watching and talking about us. Look around at everybody and shout, heaven is watching and talking about us. He said, let us therefore lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Yeah, hostility wears you out. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So last weekend, all we did was focus on this great cloud of witnesses. And we closed out with challenging the seniors. These are not the days to say, all right, my life is over. These are the days to look around and say, you know what? These are the most productive years of my life. I, sh I didn't hear you, everybody. Now, seniors, I really emphasize and, and encourage you in this. Because please forgive me, and I say nothing rude about anyone's family, but seniors, for two years, our children have told us to stay home and be quiet because they're concerned about us. And you know what? All of that was motivated by love. Just like when our children were little, we would tell them to stay home. Now it's our children's turn to tell us to stay home. It's a little disconcerting, I will admit, and we don't like our children telling us what to do. But as I told my father one day, I said, Dad, it's hard raising your parents. You can go meditate on that one for just a little while. But seniors, like I quoted to you from the New England Journal of Medicine, they did a research study, and they found the most productive years of our lives are between the ages of 60 and 70. The second most productive years of our life are between the ages of 70 and 80. And the third most productive years of our life are between the ages of 50 and 60. Now, young people, you look at that and you go, Pastor Sumrall, when you get older, you get weaker. You don't have the strength. You need to sleep more, yada, yada, yada. Yes. But our faith has had all of these years to grow. Did you hear what I just said? The faith of your Lolo and your Lola has been growing for 50 and 60 and 70 years. 
the experience and the wisdom that fills their hearts has been growing for 50 and 60 and 70 years. Yes, they may not have the physical strength of a young person, but they have the faith and they have the wisdom to do great things. So seniors, your greatest days are ahead in Jesus' name. If you retire from your career, that's one thing. But don't retire from your ministry, your greatest days. Some of you seniors should be helping us plant churches in Jesus' name. I didn't hear you. Now let's pick up and begin to talk about getting ready to run. Lord willing, next week I'm going to teach you some principles about how to run the race. But right now I want to talk to you about how to get ready to run. He says in the last phrase of verse 1, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice that phrase, set before us. The Greek literally means to make visible, to lie before, to exist openly. Paul uses that word twice, two, two more times, both in Hebrews. Hebrews 12 verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him, and Hebrews 6 verse 18, hold fast to the hope set before us. In all three of these cases, Paul says, listen, hope has been made clear and visible to you. Before Jesus went to the cross, the joy was made visible and clear to him. And in our lives, brothers and sisters, the race is not some nebulous, hard to figure out. The will of God is not some nebulous, clouded thing that we can never quite understand and comprehend. The will of God for our life is made clear and visible. Everybody say clear and visible. It's not some invisible, difficult thing that's hard to understand. Jeremiah 29 verse 11, God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You need to understand that since eternity passed, God had a plan for your life. And in that plan, COVID-19 was factored in. God knew everything from the beginning. Remember with me, please. God existed before time. God does not live in linear time like we live. And he, he lives in something that my brain doesn't comprehend of the eternal present. God saw all of this coming. And God laid everything out for your life, understanding COVID, the COVID-19 interruption. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, New Living Translation, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You need to understand that in this race called life, in this plan that God has for our life, that all along the way there are good works. Everything is laid out in advance. Everybody say, everything is laid out in advance. As we simply live the will of God in our lives, as we simply live the plan of God in our lives, as we'll study here in a moment, as we keep in step with the Spirit in our lives, the good works are there to do. As tomorrow morning when you get up, God has good works laid out for you. God has people that you are to help. God has poor that you are to help. God has people that you are to pray for. God has people that you are to evangelize. God has all the good works that He wants you to do. All of the things that he wants you to do to build the kingdom and to help other people, all of that is just laid out along the path. Now, the problem is some Christians, forgive me, 
we, we get off the path. And the problem is when we get out of the will of God, when we get off the path that God has chosen for our lives, then these good works aren't there anymore. And we're looking around, what does God expect of us? And none of these opportunities are popping up for us. But as soon as you move back into the path, as soon as you move back into the plan that God has for your life, those things are there. All the opportunities are just automatically presented there in our lives. Now, there needs to be a lifestyle that is lived that, that keeps this will of God flowing in our lives. One of, that, one of those things that is needed is desire. Psalms chapter 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will. Everybody say, I delight. New Living Translation says, I take joy in doing your will. If you want to know the will of God for your life and you want to walk in the will of God for your life, you have to look at it as a joy. You have to look at it as a delight. You should never look at it as a penance. When I was a baby Christian, I heard this preacher preach a sermon. And he said, whatever you don't want to do, that is what God will make you do in life. I thought, God, you're rough. But I didn't know any better. So I thought, well, okay, God, I mean, if that's what you expect, then, Lord, whatever you want me to do in life, whatever I don't like, I'll be happy to do it, Lord. Just... And I surrendered myself to the idea that I'm going to hate God's will. And when I sat down and talked to my old grandpa about it, grandpa said, Davy, 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 God's not like that at all. And he began to teach me Philippians 2, Philippians 2.13. God creates in us both the desire and the ability to do his will. Everybody say, the desire and the ability. Some of you may have seen on Facebook, Sister Bev published that 42 years ago we arrived in the Philippines. It's a day that we celebrate as a family every year, one of the most important days of our life. And we'll never forget how we felt as we landed on that old tarmac at Naia. Well, it wasn't Naia then, it was Maia. We felt, we looked at each other as we were landing, and we just left Hong Kong, and oh, grabitalaga, Hong Kong was hard. And when we landed in Manila, it was so different. We looked at each other and said, you know, it feels like we've been on a long journey, and we finally have come home. And that's exactly what happened. We had come home. God gave us a desire. Everybody said, a desire. When... when some very famous preachers came through in the 80s, and life was very hard in the 80s. And they were saying, you need to leave the Philippines and go have a better life and build a great ministry in America or in Canada. And we looked at them and said, no, we, we love the people here. There was a desire in our hearts. Now, you, you have to get over this idea that God is cruel and mean and ugly. God will create desires within your heart, and it will be your joy to say, your will, your way. I didn't hear you. But until, if you have this thing in your heart that, that God's will is ugly and that God's will is harsh and that God's will is hard and you get that old religious nonsense in you, then forgive me, it's going to be very hard for you to see the path because every time you, you see God's will made visible before you, you, you sit there and you look at it and you go, it must not be God's will because that's something that I would enjoy. A young man came up to me one time many, many years ago. And he said, Pastor, I'm in love. I said, wonderful. He said, but it's not God's will. 
And I said, well, why would you think that this young lady is not God's will for your life? He said, because she's so wonderful. I said, what? He said, because she's so wonderful. I said, I'm confused. You're in love with her. She's wonderful. And so therefore, because she's wonderful, she's not God's will. Yes, pastor, God's will is never that good. Now, how many times in your life, please forgive me, I don't wish to be rude, but how many times in your life has God put something very beautiful and very wonderful in front of you? And there was nothing wrong with it, there was no sin, there was no corruption, there was nothing like that involved, but there was just something wonderful there in front of you. And you looked at it and you thought, that can't be God's will because that's too wonderful. Beloved, that's exactly what God's will is like. It's wonderful. I didn't hear you. So the joy set before us. Okay, everybody say joy. I take joy in doing your will. I delight in doing your will. Sometimes to understand God's will, we need to do a little more regular fasting and prayer. Isaiah 58 verse 11. And the Lord, and please remember, this whole context here of Isaiah 58 is promises to the faster. Everybody say, promises to the faster. Here's some promises he makes to those who fast and pray. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in sun-scorched places and make your body strong. Now, now just, just listen to those promises. If you will learn to be a regular person in fasting and prayer, God will satisfy your desires in a sun-scorched land. Even in the middle of COVID-19, God will satisfy your desires. But look at the first promise. I can go through all of them. They're marvelous promises. But just look at the first one for the sake of time. And the Lord will guide you continually. How often? If you will just learn to be a person who fasts and pray, guidance just flows to your life continually. There's a flow. There's a what? There's not just a sporadic once in a while. There's a flow of guidance that comes to your life because of fasting. Now, when I talk about fasting, I'm not talking about intermittent fasting. I'm not talking about dieting. If you're fasting to diet, then please, none of these promises work. You'll get skinnier, and that's wonderful, and that's good for your health, but don't expect spiritual blessings. When we fast, we are not practicing intermittent fasting. We are practicing spiritual fasting. We do nothing but drink water. And you know what? If you, what I would really encourage you to do is just set aside one day a month where you're going to fast. Everybody say one day a month. Where you just, one day a month, you just set aside. It won't hurt you physically. It won't get you sick. It won't weaken your immune system during COVID-19. It won't do any harm to you. But just fast one day a month. And watch how guidance just continually flows to you. Now, we have to also learn to cry out in prayer. I like Paul's prayer in 1 Corinthians 1.9. We taught it earlier last year. Paul says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking you to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Weiss translation says it this way, presenting our definite requests that you might be filled with the advanced and perfect 
experiential knowledge of his will in the sphere of every kind of wisdom and intelligence which is spiritual. Brothers and sisters, sometimes you want to see the will of God, you want the will of God to be visible, you pray. You do what? Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, I've come to do your will. Lord, fill me with the knowledge of your will. That God will do this for you. Romans 8 verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. The Holy Spirit will lead you in life. Galatians 5.25 says it a little differently. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now notice, we keep, everybody say keep in step. So when the Holy Spirit's walking, you just watch his steps and you stay in step. But now that means you live in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say fellowship. You spend time with the Holy Spirit every day. You spend time, Holy Spirit, guide me into the presence of the Father. You're the butler who ushers me into God's presence. Oh, Holy Spirit, teach me to pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, help me to worship. You're, you're fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit every day in your devotions. And all you do all day long is just keep in step. Everybody say, keep in step. See, you never get lost when you keep in step. Did you hear what I just said? You never get lost because you're right close behind. You keep in step. Everybody say, keep in step. Say it again. Let me give you one more verse on that. Proverbs 4, verse 18, probably my favorite verse on this. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. I love mornings. Don't like midnight much, but I love mornings. Sister Bev, she loves midnight. A few days ago, she came down. I'm in my office. I eat breakfast like clockwork, 5 a.m. every morning. Monday mornings, I sleep in a little later and eat breakfast at 6. But every morning, 5 a.m., have my breakfast. And before I eat my breakfast every morning, I pull up the little wooden shades in my office at the house. And Sister Bev came down one morning at 5 o'clock. I'm eating my breakfast. I said, what are you doing up, sweetheart? I didn't know that you knew there were two 5 o'clocks in one day. And we laughed because, I mean, she never gets up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Just, she never gets up at 5 o'clock in the morning. But she's down there talking to me in my office 5 o'clock in the morning. And she said, why are your window shades up? It's, it's still dark outside. I said, I put them up every morning. I said, I like to watch the sun come up because it reminds me every morning of God's leadership and God's guidance in my life. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Every morning as I'm having my devotions and it's starting to get light outside, Every morning as I'm reading my Bible and praying, looking out the window as it lights outside, I just sit there just about every single morning. There might be a few I miss, but almost every single morning I just say, Father, I thank you that I may not know everything yet, but Lord, I know what I need to know for the next step. And as I move into your will, Father, I thank you, it's going to get clearer. And as I move more into your will, it's going to get brighter. And as I move more into your will, it's going to get brighter. Everybody say, brighter and brighter. Now, now you have to understand this about God's will. As you move into it, 
things may be a little dark at first, but the deeper you move into the will of God, the more clarity there is. Are you learning something? Now, take it a little farther as we get ready to run. Knowing His will brings responsibility. Now look with me in Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, beginning with verse 41, the parable that Jesus teaches. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the wise and faithful manager whom the master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master will find doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female slaves and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew the master's will but did not get ready. Did you hear that? They knew his will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. Now notice, knowing and doing the will of God brings promotion. Set him over all your possessions. Knowing the will of God and refusing to get ready and refusing to do the will of God brings God's discipline in our life. So God says, I'm going to set my will before you. I'm going to make sure that you know my will. But you have to understand that in that knowing comes responsibility. And as you know it, you get ready and do it. Everybody say, get ready and do it. How many Christians will stand before God one day and they say, but God, we couldn't do it. And he'll look at you and he'll say, you couldn't do it because you refused to get ready. Did you hear what I just said? They'll stand there and all those rewards will be lost because they refuse to get ready. And because they refuse to get ready, the opportunity passed them by. Beloved, please, there are opportunities that are going to be opening before you to do the most marvelous things for God in the coming years. You must get ready. Everybody shout, get ready. Say it again. Everybody shout, get ready to run. Now, in addition to all of this, there are some decisions that in life that need to be made when it comes to running the race. Now, one of those decisions is to never run from our responsibilities. In Nehemiah chapter 6, we find the story of Nehemiah doing the will of God, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And the more he accomplishes in the will of God, the more intense the opposition begins. I mean, please, you, you start in the early times of Nehemiah, and the opposition is pretty small. But the more progress he makes in doing the will of God, the stronger the opposition is to stop him from doing the will of God. And it's, it's one of the things that you have to learn in life. The closer you get to accomplishing the goal, the stronger the opposition will be. Kaya, you have to push harder in Jesus' name. 
But finally they come to him and they pull out all the stops and maybe the most difficult one to face. They hire prophets to come to Nehemiah, spiritual people, to come to Nehemiah with false prophecies. And they're, they're saying these things publicly, trying to intimidate Nehemiah. And they're making sure that people know that these famous prophets are, are saying these things that, no, da-da-da-da-da, just trying to intimidate him and scare him. And Nehemiah responds. And what, basically what they're telling him to do is to come hide in the temple courts. And Nehemiah said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. He recognized, I'm not a priest. I don't belong inside the temple. That's not my place. But he said, such, such a man as I run away. I have responsibilities. I'm, I'm rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. God gave this job to me to do. Should such a man as I run away? Beloved, please. There is going to be opposition to you doing the will of God. And you just have to make up your mind and make up a decision. I will not run away from the will of God for my life. I will run to the battle like David in Jesus' name. But there are other decisions that need to be made. Because in this race that we are running, we're not all alone. There's a lot of people around us. And forgive me, most of them are not Christians. As we go about doing the will of God in our everyday life, most of the people around us are not Christians. Most of the people around us are from the kingdom of darkness. Now, we don't hate them for it, but we understand people who are not saved step to a very different beat of a drummer than those of us who are, are saved. People who are not saved follow their father who is the devil. People that are saved follow their father who is God. Are we still here? And we have to understand that we're surrounded by all of these, these people. Now, when you understand that, as you run the race, you have to make a decision. Number one, I'm not going to get caught up in the mob. Everybody say, caught up in a crowd. Have you ever been, the best illustration I know most of you haven't been to. It's in Hong Kong. I was in Hong Kong one time, and I was trying to get to this place, and I didn't know my way around on the subways. <laughs> Would you like to know how I figured out the subways of Hong Kong? I found Pinoy's. I listened for Tagalog. And when I heard Tagalog, I followed the sound of Tagalog. And then I went over them, and I spoke to them in Tagalog. And I said, Would you please help me? I'm from Manila, I don't know my way around, I need to get to this place. And they would tell me every time, laughing and giggling, they would tell me every time what to do. So one time I was doing that and I got on this train and they told me you have to get off at the third stop. Okay. The only problem is it was the third stop. On the second stop, it was like this, I don't know what you call it, tsunami of humans? And they were all pushing, and I was out of the train. And I had no clue where I was. So I'm listening for Tagalog again to go find my way. I mean, they just, do you understand what I'm talking about? It's like, 
You're in that train, and all of a sudden, everybody, and you, you just, it's like you don't even have to move your feet. They just pick you up and move you. Now, that's what it's like in this world. There are times that we are caught in a tsunami of, forgive me, unsaved people, and they start moving us in a direction that's not the will of God. And we have to make some decisions. For instance, the people of this world run to evil. Proverbs 1, verse 16. For their feet run to evil. Proverbs 6, verse 18. Feet that make haste to run to evil. Isaiah 59, verse 7. Their feet run to evil. So you have to understand, this tsunami of people will, will be pushing you in a direction that will take you out of the will of God and into sin. Because that's what they run to. Everybody say, that's what they run to. And so sometimes you just have to learn how to make decisions to get out of that tsunami. Sometimes, forgive me, but they run to alcohol. I know this isn't popular, but forgive me, truth is truth. Isaiah 5 verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink and tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. Remember back before we got saved? We always wanted to try out a new club. We wanted to try out a new bar. We wanted to try out a new drink. When I was a kid in college, you know, we wanted to try out the latest beers. I remember when, I think it was Coors, Coors beer was the new thing. and Everybody wanted to try Coors beer. I think it's C-O-O-R-S. And everybody wanted to go, folks, people, they, they run to alcohol. We don't run to alcohol. We run to drink of the Holy Spirit. We don't run. Ooh, I'm going to get really ugly now. We don't run after gifts and bribes. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 23. God said, your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Did you hear that? He said, your princes, your, your government officials, all they care about is what's in it for me. They run after gifts. They run after what? Now, beloved, please, at some point or another in our life, we can't be pushed along by uns the unsaved world into pursuing gifts. Now, please, I know I'm going to step on toes, but you know what? As a pastor, it's my job to get you to heaven. And everybody said? But it amazes me how Christians get caught up in, you know, return to sender, care of, what's in it for me. I talk to businessmen, and they say, you know, pastor, you have to pay one, you have to give a gift to one person in a company to approve the contract. You have to give a gift to another person to admit that the contract is done and sign approval for payment. Then you have to give another gift to the cashier to give you your check. Everybody's, what's in it for me? And nobody wants to move without a gift. Even in construction. Now, forgive me, but please, a straight talk. As Christians, why can we not just do our job because we're paid to do a job and believe for God to bless us? I didn't hear you. You've been hired to do a job 
Do your job and get paid for it. Don't be looking for gifts from customers and suppliers. How many of you still love me? He said, look at that. Now, now please, I, I sit here and I talk about business. Look at preachers. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 20 to 21. Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian, Naaman the guy who dipped in the river Jordan and got healed of leprosy. Remember him? He said, My master spared this Naaman the Syrian. It's not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him. He would what? He's not running in the will of God. He's running after a gift. I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, is all well? Now I want you to notice, go on there in the context, for the sake of time I won't read it all, but going on there in the context, notice how he, he uses Elisha's name to give himself credibility. Notice how he lies and says, we've got a group of prophets come in, we need some change of clothes, we need some silver, we need some gold. Notice how he lies. Notice how he, forgive me, never learned how to be self-correcting. Everybody say self-correcting. He was thinking these thoughts in his head. That's what temptation is. And sometimes you have to just tell yourself, no, that's the wrong thing to do. Everybody say, no, that's wrong. He wasn't self-correcting. His heart was full of prejudice. This name in the Syrian, what right does he have to get a miracle from Jehovah God without paying something to the prophets of God. He, he, his heart was full of prejudice and bigotry, thinking that he had a right to take something from him because he was a foreigner. He thought that Elisha, his boss, was, was too easy on this guy, so there was rebelliousness in his heart. He thought that Elisha should have accepted gifts from him. Now, you know the end of the story. He winds up with the leprosy. But there's more to just that than just he ends up with leprosy. I want you to notice what he did. Because Gehazi is probably the greatest illustration in the Bible of what happens when a corrupt assistant pastor comes in contact with a thankful, generous Christian. Now, if he had come in contact with a greedy, stingy person, if Gehazi had come up to Naaman and Naaman was greedy and stingy and irritable and bitter and unthankful, he would have got nothing. But it's very dangerous when a corrupt assistant comes into contact with somebody who's had a miracle. And they're grateful to God and they're thankful to God and they've made vows to serve God. And so there's this great thankfulness flowing out of their heart and this great desire of generosity flowing out of their heart. Gehazi must have walked away from there and said, oh, it must have been God's will all along. You see, he gave me even more than I asked for. You can just imagine Gehazi's heart, but let me tell you how it ended. Not just with the leprosy. He was ashamed of what he got. When he got back, he had to hide it. He had to what? One of the things you will always learn about people who have gotten things by corruption is they always hide it. It's not a blessing. It has to be hidden because they're ashamed of how they received it. 
So they have to fake poverty. They have to get on Facebook and fake poverty because they're trying to show something that's not real. Beloved, when God blesses you, you stand up and shout it from the housetops and testify about it. But when you're corrupt, you have to hide it and pretend that you have nothing. Folks, don't ever live like that. Don't get caught up in this world's what's in it for me and I'm not going to move until you do something for me. I remember as a young pastor, I had to go get my first library. I'm thinking back to the early days because tomorrow's an anniversary for us. I had to go get my library and it wasn't very big in those days. It was like two, two trunks of books. And I had to go get my library out of customs. And I went over there, and I walked up, and I had all the papers, and I said, excuse me, I need your signature, and they opened their drawer. I had no idea why they opened their drawer. I thought, why are they opening their drawer? And then they wouldn't even look at me. I was very, very frustrated. I came back and talked to a couple of the guys, and they said, oh, pastor, they want a gift from you. I said, they do? He said, yes, they're not going to sign anything until you give them a gift. I said, well, what should I give them? They said, money. I said, no, that's, he who gives a bribe weakens a nation. So I got a bunch of tracks. And every time they open a door, I put in a tract. And I said, let me give you the greatest gift I know. Jesus died on a cross for you. And they would go. But they signed my papers. Now, beloved, don't get caught up in the world, whether they're pursuing evil or whether they're pursuing alcohol or they're, or they're pursuing gifts. Don't let the world catch you up and push you out of the train of God's will. You stay on the path God has for you. Now, I know I'm out of time. Can I have five minutes? And then I promise I'll finish. The next thing we have to do after making these decisions, we also have to make a decision to lay aside every weight. Verse 1. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now the Greek word here for weight literally means superfluous flesh. Everybody say extra fat. It means a swelling. It's not used any place else in the New Testament. But it is used in ancient Greek to refer to pride. It was a metaphor for pride. It was a metaphor for what? Now, if you're going to get ready to run, please forgive me. There are things in your life that are not sinful. They're just excess weight. And the reason that excess weight is in our life is pride. Is what? There are things that we're doing. There are things that we have. There are relationships that are a part of our life. They're not sinful. There's nothing dirty or nasty or sinful about them. But the only reason they're in our life is pride. Now, if you're going to run the race with endurance, you have to get rid of the extra weight. Everybody say, get rid of the unnecessary in my life. You need to simplify your life. Everybody say simplify. Say it again. 
There are things that you're doing, and the only reason you're doing it is pride. There are things that you, you have, and the only reason you have it is pride. There are things that you're planning to do, and the only reason you're planning to do it is pride. You want to keep up with everybody else. You want to do what everybody else is doing. You need to simplify. If you're going to run the race with endurance, you need to get rid of the excess fat in life. Everybody said excess fat. I, I didn't hear you. One of the guy dancers. Where are the guy dancers? Come on up here for a second. Now, let me ask you a question. If he and I started a marathon, who's going to finish the marathon and who's going to pass out about one kilometer in? Who's going to finish the marathon? Why? There's excess. Are we still here? Thank you, sir. Do you get the point? There's a lot of stuff in our life. It's not sinful. It's not bad. But you're never going to finish the will of God if you don't learn to lighten the load. Everybody say, lighten the load. Say it again. And if you look at, why am I doing this? Why is this such a big part of my life? Because of, I mean, when you really look at yourself, you go, you know, God, the only reason that's in my life is pride. Everybody say pride. The last one. And the sin which clings so closely. Now, the word here, cling, means to entangle our feet. There's a lot of little sins in life. There are big sins and there are little sins. And sometimes we, we, we work hard and we push the big sins out of our life. Because we've been set free and we can make those choices that everybody said. But the little sins, we just let them hang around. You know, I never fell over one of my big shepherds. They're all in puppy heaven now. But you know, have you noticed how a little puppy dog can trip you up walking across a room? How many of you have little dogs? Would you raise your hand? Shasha and EJ, they have little dogs. And little Coco, she's there and then she's gone. And then she's gone and you start to walk and then she's there. And then you're stepping and she's going, Aah! and you jump and you fall down. The little things. There are little things, little sins in your life. And they tangle up your feet and you fall. And you don't reach the goal that God has for you. Now, now please, I don't say this rudely. But many of you, in your life, in your life there are many times you have been so close to reaching a goal and that one little sin brings you down. And then the next time you're reaching for the goal and again that one little sin brings you down. And then you're so close to reaching a goal and that one little sin brings you down. And maybe nobody else sees it but it has tangled up your feet and you fall again. Beloved, let's get that stuff out of our life in Jesus' name. Just because it's a little thing doesn't mean it can't stop you from doing God's will. So he says, listen, would you please 
since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Let, let's discard all that, that stuff that's not necessary. And the sin, lay it aside, that sin which clings so closely. Weiss translation says, and cleverly places that sin which so deftly and cleverly places itself in an entangling way around us. Let's just get that stuff out of our life and let's run the race in Jesus' name. So part of getting ready is getting things out of our life that aren't sinful, they're just not necessary. And part of getting ready is cleaning up that stuff in our life that doesn't belong there. And everybody said, would you stand with me, please? I took seven minutes. <laughs> Sorry. Would you take your communion, please? Everybody shout, get ready to run. Now, when you hear a sermon like this, you need to go back and look at your notes or listen to it again tomorrow online and think about it. What does this mean for my life? I know the will of God. I know what he wants me to do. What are these things that I need to do to get ready to run? Everybody shout, what do I need to do? To get ready to run. Would you take the bread, please? Ulitanatan, this bread represents his body. Hung on a tree for me. He took the punishment of all my sins. He set me free from the bondage of sin and death. Sin no longer controls me. I've been set free by the finished work of Christ on the cross. I remember what he has done for me. Let us partake of the bread together. Ulitanatan, this cup represents his blood that washed away all my sin. Brought me near to God so I can know his will and I can know his ways. Justified me. Cleansed my conscience from acts that lead to death so that I can serve him Guilt and, condemnation Guilt and condemnation no longer rule my life. No longer rule my life. I, remember I remember what the blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus has, done for me. has done for me. Let us partake of the cup together. My chains are gone. My chains are gone. Now, please don't listen to a sermon like this 
and let it go in one ear and out the other ear. Sit down and ask yourself, what do I need to do to get ready? God's got wonderful things for me in the days ahead. What do I need to do to get ready in Jesus' name?